Hey folks, what's a crack? Welcome back to the Pre-Construction Podcast. It's Gareth McGlynn here with your latest episode. Today's episode is all about heavy civil infrastructure and specifically roads and bridges. If you're interested in roads and bridges and you're interested in estimating, this is the episode for you. Today, I got a 35-year veteran on to discuss estimating within roads and bridges. Now, to give you a little bit of a flavour for him, he was involved in Virginia's largest infrastructure project. It consisted of 15 bridges. Humongous project. Not only did he estimate it, but he then went on the field and, and delivered it as a project manager. He is none other than Dan Beattie. He's currently Senior Director of Estimating at Alberici Constructors up in Virginia. One of the nicest guys I've spoken to in construction. Uh, discussed on today's podcast was just his journey, his journey in civil construction so far, then the growing popularity of design build within heavy construction, heavy civil projects, the strategy that he has used for years when it comes to go, no-go strategy. Goes into that in great detail, really, really insightful. Then he talks about the successful changes he has made when it comes to estimating processes and workflows. Um, then he talks about workforce development uh, and mentoring, one of the things that's, that's close to his heart. And then he talks about the attitude and the shift that we need to make within the thinking and the attitude we have in construction. He talks about the command and control attitude that is basically, it's it's just, it's ancient and it, it's the companies are run by dinosaurs we need to shift that to towards soft skills emotional intelligence collaboration communication it goes into that in great detail i think that's something that that he sees himself doing over the next five to ten years and not only doing in his current role but outside of of, of his current role within the schools in Virginia um, and it goes into that in detail as well listen thanks for listening as always we're going to hear from our two sponsors uh, Concentric and Beck Technology but one thing I've been asked to do by my marketing department again I don't know the nuances of, of all this is please wherever you're listening to this podcast Apple, Spotify please subscribe um, seemingly it helps me a lot not sure how but do me a favor, take a, take a couple of seconds, subscribe, uh, you'll get alerts, uh, and you'll get a notification of when the next episode is. But listen, enjoy this one, uh, and please, all feedback is welcome. Hi, I'm Steve Delorto, founder and CEO of Concentric, the first holistic platform for pre-construction. As a former executive officer of one of the largest general contractors in the U.S., I have experienced firsthand the challenges the industry is facing, particularly in pre-construction. Pre-construction is still a highly manual and fractured collection of processes. Essential information is kept in ad hoc scattered spreadsheets and documents, which really limits the understanding and hides the full picture of a project for all those involved. Concentric is here to change that. Our 360-degree platform unites data, workflows, and people. With Concentric, you and your team can access real-time insights and data, assess and mitigate risk to ensure a successful project outcome, and most importantly, unlock the enormous capacity of your talent and your data. To learn more about Concentric and to book a demo, head to our website, concentric.com. That's spelled 
C-O-N-C-N-T-R-I-C.com. Concentric, it's pre-construction recalibrated for the modern builder. Dan Beatty, welcome to the Pre-Construction Podcast. Hey, Garrett. Nice to see you. Wonderful. Boy, am I glad to see your face. I have been <laughs> trying to get a roads and bridges subject matter expert for some time. Um, your name kept cropping up, so thank you very much for giving up your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank Good. you. So, Appreciate Dan, let's get straight into it. Um, for anybody that doesn't know you, give us an, a, just a quick overview of your background um, and where you're at right now. Well, I've been in the business for about 35 years, uh, civil engineer from uh, University of Maryland. And the roads and bridges piece, I got to actually credit my parents. They said, you know, you're trying to figure out what you want to do, and there are always going to be a need for roads and bridges. You know, just because the Jetsons had flying cars doesn't mean that we're there yet. And we still have trucks that destroy the roads and you still need bridges. So um, that was actually pretty good advice. And I got into my career, uh, worked with some of the most iconic uh, projects and, and companies on the East Coast. Um, I was involved with, um, you know, when I was at Bechtel, there was a job for the, uh, that we bid the uh, bridge across the river from Detroit into uh, Canada. Uh, we didn't actually win it, but it was a very exciting project to get involved with. So uh, I've been a part of that for a long time. I was in the field for years, and then I turned into estimating probably at the turn of this century, about uh, 2000, 2001, and I've been doing it ever since. Brilliant. I love. Talk to me about the transition because we talked to it before. I know you're a big advocate for getting people into construction, getting people in to consider pre-construction and estimating. Give us your own story. Well, the thing about estimating, it's almost like um, when I was coming up, the young guys in the field, I say guys, I should say young ladies too, more so nowadays. But um, when I got started, you know, the idea was, well, you got to be out in the field. You got to be where things are happening. You got to be where the rubber meets the road and going into the office, ugh, estimating who wants to do that. But after a while, when you're out in the field and it gets hot and dirty and you've been working 60, sometimes 70 hours a week, and maybe you have a baby or maybe you have a, a spouse that says, gosh, you are never here or whatever. Uh, then you start thinking, well, what can I do differently and not, you know, completely lose what I've been doing? And so that's kind of what happened to me. It was like I had young kids and they needed some help in the office on a great big job we were bidding. I was working for Shirley Contracting at the time. And they bid the largest job that uh, Virginia Department of Transportation ever put out. It was a Springfield interchange. I came into the office. I helped them estimate it. Uh, had a lot of fun doing it, actually. And then when we got the job, that was my last job in the field. I was a project manager on that job for all of the structures. Uh, there were 15 bridges on that interchange. Wow. And then when it was over, I kind of went to the president and I said, you know what? Mike, I really kind of like the estimating piece. What do you think about me coming in and uh, just just doing it? And uh, I, that's what I did. And it turned out to be a great opportunity. I worked for a 
fantastic uh, vice president of estimating, Dan Clamore. He's still there. And he taught me everything I never, ever learned about the uh, business. And uh, I've been estimating ever since and at different levels. Wow, what a project. Shout out to Dan as well. What a project to be involved in, not only to take through estimating, but then to go on and deliver. I mean, 15 bridges, huge undertaking. For yeah. anybody, and, and listen, we get loads of listeners from every, anybody from high school kids, graduates, civil engineering, for anybody out there that, that doesn't understand the nuances of estimating or building bridges, give us a quick overview of, of, of the, A, you can use that project as, as an example. What's it like estimating a, a bridge? Well, bridges, um, if you understand how they're designed, they're designed from the top down, basically, which is kind of anti-intuitive, or it's not intuitive, because it's like, well, why wouldn't you go from the bottom up? And the reason is, it's it's what's the loading? You know, how how much, uh, how many traffic, how much traffic is going to be on it? And then you have to work your way down so that you have the right foundation. So if you don't know the loads, how do you design the base? So that's how you do it. You built, you design it from top to bottom, and then you estimate it in a similar fashion is like anything else, whether it's a simple overpass or whether it's the uh, Gordie Howe Bridge that goes across a, a giant river, you break it down into small pieces. You say there's a substructure, which is the base, the foundation. You know, what's it based on? Is there Are there piles? Is it drilled shafts? What kind of piers are you talking about? Then you worry about the superstructure, which is, okay, is it a cable state bridge? Is it steel? Is it uh, precast concrete? How thick is the deck? So you, you break it into different parts and pieces, and then you put it all together as how would you build it? The way I estimate is I have to visualize it in the field. And that's why I feel like any estimator or pre-construction person worth their salt should have at least spent some time in the field so they could physically see how things are put together and what's it like? What is the access? Can you get a crane in there? Is there water involved? What's the uh, water level, you know, if you're going to start excavating? Do you need sheeting to, yeah, I mean, there's so many different things that come up that you have to think about. And uh, that's why I think it's so important for somebody to be out in the field first so that you can visualize. I mean, I don't know about you, but cookbook estimating bugs me quite a bit. It's like, <laughs> well, we have all these metrics. There's 0.25 man hours per cubic yard. I'm like, what does that mean? I mean, that's great to check against what you're talking about, but it's not like who thinks like that? Who yeah. thinks in those terms? You think, how long would a crew of five people take to form and pour this footing? Yeah. That's the way I estimate yeah. anyway. Yeah. And then the metrics spit out from that, and then it's more of a check. Yeah. I mean, in essence. I love it. Yeah. And it's a great, that's a great high level overview of, of how to, 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 to do a bridge. That kind of leads me into the next thing the popularity of design build, especially these big, big, big projects. Um, is it something that you saw coming? Has that always been that case over your 30, 35 years experience? Um, and why is it so important, the design build aspect? I think what happened, Gareth, when I first got started in this business, it was mainly bid build. Uh, the DOTs had large uh, staffs. They had engineers. 
uh, designing, you know, and they, they were a lot more hands-on in those days. And I think the design build, you could see it coming mainly because uh, they weren't able to sustain that, you know, and the time that it took to put a project out was incredibly long. So in order to have procurement that made sense, um they decided well let's get involved you know we already contract with a lot of these outside agencies these outside you know um engineering firms so let's create a uh procurement uh way of doing things that can kind of streamline things and i think in the beginning it was difficult because they didn't want to let go of their control Uh, they felt like, oh, my gosh, we, we were able to control every little aspect of this. And now we kind of have to let it go. But after the first couple of projects, especially, you know, what I'm familiar with is in Virginia. They had a couple of examples where it worked really, really well. And again, I got to give a shout out to Shirley. They were one of the leaders in this area in getting design build going. And once that occurred, once they started to realize this is a great way to actually do things, you know, and you're going to get a better product because when a lot of times engineers work in a silo, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll design things and, and they'll like put dimensions on that make no sense. It's like who forms something to 11 sixteenths? <laughs> You get a contractor who comes in and says, hey, uh, engineer, here's what you do. You make all of the caps of the bridge the same size. <laughs> well, you don't have to because there's you're going to lose concrete. I'm like, hey, if we're forming it the same way over and over, you save money with labor. Oh, well, that makes sense. Let's do that. And that's that's kind of the evolution. And it's sort of been sort of a back and forth learning process between the contractor, the engineer, and the owner. And as time passed, everybody got a lot more comfortable with it. And frankly, why would you go back to the other way? It's working really well. And, and, and there's and no reason to change. Collaboration, it's it's ideal. Everybody's learning. The engineer now thinking a little bit like a general contractor, and the general right. contractor is giving the feedback to the engineer. So the next project that they do, they'll have lived and learned. Love it, exactly. yeah. And that makes sense. And to be honest with you, on the on the non-residential and the commercial side, it's it's very very similar with the negotiated stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I love that. And and it kind of the design build side. It brings me to my next, and and I think it's something that that you're really you're really concentrated on with, with your level and, and it's a go, no, no go strategies um, when it comes to selecting a project that you want to bid for within your company. Um, throughout the years, these are things that are, are evolving. Uh, people are now in a position where they can turn down work and, and say, you know what, that's not in line with what our company does or I haven't got the capability of doing that. Before it was win the job, get the job and then figure out how to build it. So talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I think you're absolutely right. What has happened is there's lots of competition out there, obviously. And, you know, very it's a cutthroat business. Let's not let's not put any, you know, happy face on that. It just is what it is. And what has happened, you have different tiers of contractors. So if you're on the smaller end, 
Um, I don't know if you're a general, maybe you're a specialty contractor. Well, then you still might have to have that mindset. It still might have to be shotgun approach. I got to get whatever I can get. So be it. But as you move up the ladder uh, in tiers based on the size and the complexity of the company, well, then you start thinking about, well, what are we really good at? Uh, what is our core mission? Why do we exist? You know, I remember we went through this whole uh, design, they're trying to figure out what our mission statement was at one of the companies I worked for. And we had guys sitting around the table and they were crusty veterans, you know, and I, and I asked them a question. I said, well, why did you get into the construction business? And to a, to a person, they all said, well, I wanted to work outside and I really wanted to be able to look at stuff and say, I had something to do with creating this, you know? And so when it came time for our table to talk about it, I stood up and said, well, we build cool stuff. That's our mission. And the whole room's like, well, there it is. Now, that's not exactly what their mission statement is, but it was close. Yeah. And so from no go to go, what a company has to do is it's got to be honest with itself. It's like, why do we exist and what do we do well? Yeah. And once you know that, you are able, as you said, to turn work down that doesn't fit into what your competencies are, because you can really get yourself in trouble yeah. if you do something that you're really not sure about. I mean, construction is a very risk averse business as well. So, you know, we've got uh, risk management. We have all of that stuff trying to back ourselves up and you just don't want to get out there doing something that you have no idea what you're doing. You know, it's like if you've never done water work, then don't get self, yourself involved in a tunnel job underneath the body of water. Why, why would you do that? Yeah. So it's, it, that's how it's kind of evolved. And the other thing I would say is as a company gets larger and larger, they need to diversify in that don't stay in one particular niche unless that niche is so unique and difficult that nobody else wants to do it. Then you can make a great living at it. But if you just stay in one particular niche, like roads and bridges, you can probably, there's enough of those that either need to be built new or rehabilitated that you can have a fine career. But if that's not your niche, like maybe you have a water treatment part of your company and maybe you have, you know, uh, utilities part. Focus on what you're good at and don't wander too far from your core competencies. Otherwise, you're probably going to get yourself in trouble. Yeah. And I think that's where the go, no go strategy has come out of too many companies getting, getting themselves in, in trouble. Um, and, and essentially what they're probably trying to do is reduce the risk and increase the profit, profitability and, and the, the idea that we can deliver this for a certain amount of money. And it's, it's working well for a lot of companies. Um, yeah. and if, and if you implement it well, then it's, it's worth its weight in gold. Um, and then that kind of brings me back to, I want to get your experience on this because, I mean, looking through the companies that you've worked with, Crowder, Shirley, Lee, most recently Lane, Bechtel, and now Alberishi, there's some great companies there. Talk to me about the changes, the successful changes that you have seen in processes when it comes to estimating workflows, even technology. What What are you seeing in that roads and bridges space? Well, the technology piece definitely makes a big difference. Um, and one thing, you know, 
a person like myself who, uh, when I got started, um, you know, uh, there was no Excel spreadsheet. It was uh, Lotus one, two, three. I don't know if you, you'd probably have to Google that to find I out. I heard what it. it was. No, I've heard of it. <laughs> and so, you know, I've tried to grow along with it. And to be honest with you, the younger generations are much better at technology than I am. But what I bring to the table is, you know, I've seen enough work and types of work and workflows that, you know, I'm able to say, okay, well, this is what we should be doing. Why don't you help me figure out the most efficient way to get there technology-wise, you know? I like um, it. So that that's where it, it comes from. It's like, as long as you don't over tax somebody then say oh my gosh you have so much work that you can't get it done and you have no work-life balance um that's not good but what's been happening that i've noticed is that the companies i've been working for really dig into the details of the individual projects you know they spend the time doing the due diligence and that's that's really what it the shotgun approach is really not ideal. You don't yeah. want to do that. You want to be able to thoroughly vet what you're working on and come up with a great plan. And the other part is really integrate with um, the uh, the field. Bring in superintendents, foremen, project managers, get their take on things. Be more collaborative. I think that's another thing that I have seen over my career that has gotten better as time has gone on, is the ability to communicate, the ability to uh, collaborate, to come up with the best plan. And that's that talks back to the design build aspect, because when you do the design build, part of what you're turning into the owner is a technical proposal, which basically says, here's the story of the job. This is where we think it's supposed to be run. These are our processes, and these are the things that we think will work well for you. So it's not just dollars and cents. It's what's the plan? What's the story of the job? Yeah. What is the whole picture? And you can't do something like that in a couple of weeks. I mean, you, it's got to take a lot of people, a lot of collaboration, and a lot of working together. And I think that's what some people don't understand about our industry when you know you talk about wanting to attract others into it or retain people if you thought about how creative of a process this is and the ability for a diverse group of people to get together to try to create something that is doesn't exist yet i mean i think that's pretty exciting stuff yeah so and that 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 leads us nicely on to the next thing that's this close to your heart is is retaining the well recruiting retaining and developing people um because as you say the, the the roads look simple it looks like a road that was dug up bit of soil put down gradient on top bit of tarmac and, and and then that's it but it's it's way way more complex and it's way way more enjoyable getting to that so in your experience workforce development and and, and mentoring tell me about it through your career so far and i liked what you said there about the reverse mentoring of you have got the experience the ideas the technology people younger people are coming through with that and you're, you're almost pivoting off each other well i think the key is construction as an industry needs to do a much better job of describing what we do. 
because unfortunately there seems to be a perception out there, especially by people that are in school or even down to, uh, you know, childhood is that construction is a dirty business. And only people that do that are people that aren't able to do anything else, which is such a disservice to what we do because there are highly trained, highly technically creative people working in this industry. And the need is to get that message to people and let them realize, no, this is an incredibly creative, collaborative process. There are things about what we do that are uh, really valuable to our society, you know, and that message isn't getting out, unfortunately. And, um, you know, as I was told you uh, when we talked previously, you know, we have a daughter in school getting a civil engineering degree, and she had an internship with the company. And they basically scared her to death by saying, well, you're going to be working 60 hours a week and you're not going to have a personal life. And you, I would recommend you don't have baby. I mean, stop. What are you doing? You can't do that to young people. It's horrible. Um, so I think that the challenge is for our industry is to tell the story. And that's why I like what you're doing, Gareth. You're trying to tell the story of what this industry does Roads and bridges, which is the focus of what we're talking about today. Listen, it's not just getting to the store. It's trucks on the highway bringing uh, goods to market. It's, you know, the, the interstate highway can, uh, was designed in the 50s, mainly because we needed to be able to move our military from coast to coast. I mean, it has overarching needs, you know. It's something that we all probably take for granted, but it is so vitally important to our society that roads and bridges take care of. Just during COVID, I taught my youngest to drive because nobody was on the road. <laughs> Everybody was stuck inside. But you know what else was going on? Construction was deemed a necessary thing, and it went on through COVID. Yeah, Dan, I couldn't agree more. Um, to me, it's incredible. It's a it's a pivotal crossroad that we're at now with construction. If you think about the 60s and 70s, it was all financial services. Everybody, the whole story, when you were at parties, when you were picking up your kid at school, when you were at sports games, everybody was talking about how flashy and cool financial services were. Then it was tech. Then it was Facebook, Google, all these companies. It's not that tech's in a little bit of a downward spiral. Now it should be construction. And it's like we're doing a great job, you especially, and anybody that's not following Dan Beatty on LinkedIn, please do so. I will put his LinkedIn profile in, in, show, in his show notes. Follow him. Doing great work with yeah. books that, that are read to children to get them thinking about construction, to get it in their head, get it in their subconscious. So it's up to everyone in construction to talk at sports stadiums, to talk at sp to, to, to people, your friends, your family, your 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 peers, Talk to them about a career in construction because there's so many options. But I totally agree with you. Um, but I like one thing that you said to me on LinkedIn as well is that the mindset of construction needs to change. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the DISC assessment, the D-I-S-C. Um, the DISC, uh, the D is a driver. And the C is, um, uh, I think it means collaborator, but um, 
the the construction industry that I've been in for the my whole career is dominated and I mean literally dominated by people that are D's and C's mo mostly D and I can describe a D as hard driving uh command and control um my way or the highway throw the stake in the ground and let's make this thing happen and that's the way it is if you happen to not be a person with one of those letter designations you're going to have a very hard time in this industry and i think that that needs to change because uh people with so-called soft skills and by the way i really can't stand that word but that's what we have people that know how to collaborate people that know how to communicate people that take the time to explain and mentor and think well wait a minute how is this going to affect other people how you know that kind of stuff it's not as as prevalent and i personally have been struggling with it my entire career because i happen to be one of those people that wants to communicate that wants to do things in a reasonable way um and a lot of times if you've got superintendents that say no we just got to get the work done i'm not going to worry about being nice to you i'm not going to worry about whether somebody's bullying you i'm just going to go out there and i'm going to make it happen that's why construction has gotten the, the black eye that it has is that there still is a, a a piece of it where that kind of behavior is allowed and that really needs to change. It's something that I'm very passionate about because I don't care for it at all. I don't think, well, I had to do this, so you do too. I'd rather give somebody the benefit of my experience and say, oh, God, don't do that. I did it, and it was a horrible mistake. Here, let me tell you what I think would be a better way to do it. That's not as prevalent. At least it hasn't been in my career. I've run into places where... It's just not done. And so the mindset of people in construction, you know, when I got started, it was the Wild West. Safety was not what it is today. Back then, it was like, tie off? What's that? Well, all right, I'm exaggerating. But it's changed. The culture of construction has changed with respect to safety, right? Like now, it's like the biggest thing, rightfully so. Well, what I'd like to see happen is a culture change that is more person-centric, where a person is valued. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if the robots are going to completely take over, but one of the reasons why robots are becoming more and more um, acceptable is that dealing with people is unique and different, and it requires finesse, and it requires the ability to communicate. And so just because construction is a hard industry, soft skills are really, really incredibly important. Yeah. Communicating, emotional intelligence, treating people the way you want to be treated. It's simple stuff, not done as much as I'd like to see happen. So that's part of, as I enter the last of my career, I want to pass it along to the next generations. Hey, this is what I've learned along the way. And can we please treat each other better? Yeah.
incredible. That, that is incredibly powerful. Uh, and I want to thank you as well for, for taking that stance on it and that line on it. I can guarantee you there's going to be people in my inbox asking me questions about that. Would you mind if I put your LinkedIn profile below? Absolutely. If fall, love it. Um, Especially within, within any questions because there's not many people with that mindset and it was really well explained. Um, and the more people like you we get into your industry, the better we chance we have of recruiting, retaining and developing our talent. And, and your story is even more powerful because I believe that pre-construction and estimating is where the biggest decisions are made. But I also believe that some of the most, the smartest people that we have are sitting as a superintendent, an APM, a project engineer, and they're getting fed up with construction. We need Absolutely. to reach out, put our arm around them, bring them into pre-construction, use the experience that they've had on the field and make and have them making really important decisions every hour of every day. So that's, Absolutely. that's, that's brilliant. Well, I, I can't think of a better way of finishing. And, and believe it or not, we... Uh, we probably, we haven't spoke about two or three topics. So I think in a few months, we might be calling you again, Dan, for a, a quick call. Happy to do it. And I, I'm thrilled that uh, you, you're doing this, Gareth. Uh, I think it's it's really necessary. And, you know, like I said, I have spent my entire career in this industry. I have a love-hate relationship with it, quite frankly. And uh, I'd like to see it do better. We need to do better. Right. Uh, because um, there's just too much to be done. It's too necessary for our society and our way of life. And to not give it the attention it needs and deserves, uh, we're going to hurt ourselves. And so got to got to do it. One thing, and I want, when I finish with this, I'll be interested in your, um, your opinion on this. One thing is a real breath of fresh air for me, Dan, is the, the people like yourself that were, are within these companies that aren't being respectful, they're, they're being like, this is, the, this is the only way to do it. There's a lot of, in the last 10 or 15 years, a lot of like companies are, have come out of the big firms and started themselves, and they are now pre-construction services focused, people focused, collaboration focused, and they are killing it. And that's across infrastructure, it's across commercial construction. So if anybody's st stuck in a company that's not doing that for them, there's loads of options out there. Well, they're dinosaurs, and they rightfully should end up not being successful. Yeah. And remember, in all things like this, it starts at the top. Yeah. If you have different superintendents or people that don't treat each other right, it's up to the people that are above them to say, no, that's not acceptable, and you are no longer welcome here. That's what needs to happen. Yeah. And the problem is that sometimes these people are high achievers that act this way. They're, they make money for you. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, well, what do you value? Is it, is it money or is it uh, doing good work and, and being able to look in the mirror? Yeah. Um, I personally would much rather be able to look in the mirror, although I don't know if I like <laughs> what's been happening to me. But other than that... Uh, <laughs> coming to us all. <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> other than that, remember, it does start at the top. And, it, oh. uh, and, and that's the only way a people-centric company is going to survive is that the people that are in charge make it undeniably so. Yeah, and that's a culture thing. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Gareth. My pleasure.
Stuck in spreadsheets? Tired of the endless loop of copying and pasting? Now imagine all your estimating workflows in one program. Beck Technology's innovative Destiny Estimator software streamlines the entire estimating process. With intuitive tools and powerful analytics, you can create accurate and reliable estimates quickly and easily. We understand the challenges pre-con teams face because we were born from construction. When you are ready to streamline your estimating efforts, visit us at beck-technology.com and talk with a tech expert in a Destiny Estimator demo today. There you have it, folks. I told you Dan Beatty was one of the nice guys. What a lovely man uh, and a big, big advocate for getting people into civil construction, but also within pre-construction and estimating. As always, I'm sure there's loads of questions. Listen, if you have questions, you, 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 you've got a sense of Dan's personality and character there. He does not mind answering any questions. Reach out to him. I have put his LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Uh, if you've got any feedback from me, I'm always I'm, a, I'm always open. Or if you know somebody that would be really good to come on the podcast, please refer them or, 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 or let me know and I'll ask them if they would like to come on. As always, folks, please subscribe, please like, share it with your peers, and I look forward to bringing you more wonderful episodes. Thank you.